Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. So this week I uh, heard a story about a husband and wife talking, and the husband's brother was visiting. So you got the husband, the brother, and then the wife, right? And the husband and wife were, had a disagreement, and they were kind of discussing and debating about why each position, why they thought they were right, okay? And the husband was right in this case, but the brother said to the husband, hey, you're right, but you're wrong. And he's like, I'm sorry? He's like, you're totally right. You got all the facts right. You have a better argument than your wife. You're just logical. You're clear, good examples, and you also happen to be in the truth. She's got a lie she's believing. But you're so wrong in the way you're going about it. And he says, so you might be right, but you're wrong. I think we, if we don't have that experience in our own life, we at least have witnessed it or heard about something like this, where there's a way of being right where you can be wrong. And this is almost what consistently Jesus is trying to bring up about the Pharisees. In the gospel today, he tells a story of two people who go to pray. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. And first century Jewish men and women, those represented a lot to them. Pharisees were kind of the religious heroes of Judaism. They knew things, they did things really right, they were morally rigorous, in many ways morally superior. And yet Jesus constantly was taking issues with them because they were in the way of people's encounter with God. And then there was tax collectors. They were disliked by every Jewish man and woman because they went into cahoots, if you will, with the Roman Empire. So they were collecting taxes for the Romans while claiming to still be Jews. And so they were playing both sides in many ways. And they, also, they oftentimes weren't very honest on the taxes. So this Pharisee goes to pray. And we know he's got some problems pretty early on when it says, and he said this prayer to himself. It's kind of a weird way to pray. right? You you can't pray to God and be God all at once. (laughs) Either you need a God and you're not God, or you think you're God and therefore you wouldn't need a God. And so he says this prayer, thank you for not making me like the rest of humanity. Greedy, adulterous, etc. Now I want to begin right here by saying it's really good to not be greedy and adulterous in these things. That is a moral victory. And if we have that in our lives, we do need to rally our energies around removing these things. So that's not the uh, that's not a problem. Jesus isn't like, well, he should have been more adulterous. That's not what Jesus is saying. But see, he was so right and yet so wrong. Because underneath all of it, he was wrapped up in his own self-righteousness. Before God, he stood on his own two feet like he had something to offer God. Look at me, God. I have arrived. I am good. You must love me now. I am not like those people. He was right. He wasn't committing these great sins, but he was committing an even greater sin. The sin of self-righteousness and judgment, which are always the sin, always the fruit of the sin of pride. 
And pride is usually the fruit of a heart that's afraid. What would happen to this Pharisee if he actually felt his needs, his fears, his inadequacies? What would happen if he actually pressed into the situations in life that were overwhelming for him? Things he could do nothing about. He wouldn't know what to do. So that part of his heart gets walled off through fear. And now he postures himself, look at all the moral victories I have, God. Then you got this tax collector who's a train wreck of a man morally. He's stolen from people. He's turned his back on his own people. And he goes before God, totally vulnerable, no masks of self-righteousness. And he says, please have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, that, that, that second guy, he went home justified, meaning he went home cradled in the Father's love. He went home intimate with God. He went home with all the power and grace and encouragement of the Holy Spirit. He went home to build a life of real, genuine holiness and happiness because his heart wasn't hidden before God. It was wide open. See, in the psalm today, we heard the refrain, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. And that's a newer kind of version I heard today. I normally hear the more traditional one. But almost every, and this isn't, you guys did a great job doing it. This is, they find musicians and they put it on for us. They find composers. But every composer takes that psalm, the Lord hears the cry of the poor, and makes it very heavy sounding. Is if those people who have no money in their pockets living on the street, God hears them. But if you worked hard and you get a paycheck, sorry. And you're like, well, this, how is this good news? But if you understand that the Bible, when it says poor, does not first and foremost mean a bank account. It means the disposition of our hearts. The Lord hears the prayers of those who come before him broken open, weak and vulnerable. The Lord hears the cry of those who say, I got nothing except a hope in your kindness. The Lord hears the cry of those who say, I am utterly powerless over life. That's the one biblically that God says, that's the one I'm listening to. Because that actually is the truth of every human being in the whole world. All eight billion. Before God, we got nothing. St. Augustine says, we're like poor beggars before God. Not because he doesn't want to give us love and grace, but because we've got nothing. All we have before God is the things he's the one who gave it to us. Life, love, hope, faith, grace, forgiveness, mercy. Those are all the things he gives us. And so before him, we, can, we have nothing but just hope, need, we're poor. Now reread Jesus' main teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't mean blessed are the destitute. He means blessed are those who realize that in life I am dependent on God and others. Before time, God didn't consult with you and said, would you like to be born of these people at this time in this location? We're just radically thrusted into this world. 
And then it took a lot of people caring for us in those vulnerable days to keep us alive. And then we needed family, friends, teachers, role models to form us and give us values and abilities. We needed people to step into our life and teach us how to know right from wrong, good from evil, how to speak up. We needed all of these things. We didn't do it on our own. And in all of that, Thomas Aquinas says, those are secondary causes, meaning God's at work through instruments. And then when we go to pray, so often we pray like we're at a country club rather than a hospital. I'm good, Lord, if you could help the people in Ukraine, which of course they need our prayers and help. Okay, could you help the people in the Middle East? Of course they need our prayers and help. Help the people with all the injustices in China. Of course, they need our prayers and help. But we're not Miss America when we pray. We have the same needs because we're made of the same stuff. We're broken and hurting. Every one of us here has a heart that is so small and yet desires so many big things. Every one of us here has felt overwhelmed by life, disappointed, let down, hurt. And if you're like, I don't know if that's true, just think of the last two and a half years and how many parties got canceled due to COVID. You look forward to something and it got shut down. That's a small level, let alone the big things. Here's the most amazing part of this. When God becomes one of us, when the Son of God becomes a Son of Man, the incarnation, Jesus Christ, He doesn't take the posture of a king and someone self-reliant. He actually enters into two cells in the Blessed Mother's womb. Then he becomes dependent on her for nourishment, bathing, and clothing. He learned how to pray from Joseph and her by going to the temple. He had friends and he learned how to pray. He took our poverty and needs and inserted it into God to show us this isn't a liability. God will not abandon you and me when we recognize how weak, needy, and limited we are. It's in those very places he gets excited to show us how much he loves us. In a few weeks, I'm going to Philadelphia to teach for a week with a couple other people on uh, prayer and contemplation and things and One guy is the expert. He's written all the books. So he's the main professor, but because he has a throat issue, they need someone to teach two lessons. So that's where I come in, all right? So I come in. But my two lessons are based on his books, all right? So he's sitting in the room while I have to teach everyone what he meant, all right? (laughs) So I've been reading and researching. I'm up late studying and on my day off trying to figure out what I'm going to say. And so this priest who I really admire, uh, I called him. He's a Benedictine monk. And I said, and I've been studying for hours, for weeks, right? And I said, how would you uh, teach contemplation? Told him I have to teach his thing. And he didn't even say, well, give me a second. It just flowed out of him. The most inspiring, consoling, wisdom-filled answer I had ever read over the last two weeks or anything. Just flowed right out of the guy. And I said, hey, thanks so much. I wrote it down. I said, great. And the rest of the day, I was really sad. I was sad because I felt so small compared to this monk's greatness. I'm working my butt off, and I feel like I can barely get two sticks rubbed together to create a fire. And this guy's blazing. 
Oh, well, it's this, this, yeah, I would say this, maybe a little of this, quote this, maybe bring this in. Here's a story. I'm, of course, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Just checking to make sure you knew. <laughs> but see, my sadness towards my own poverty, that let me know something. That I got a long road in deflating my ego ahead of me. Because only someone who expects themselves to be great and have all the answers and be the smart one in the room gets sad when a deficiency is revealed. But someone who only ever knew themselves to be poor and little and is constantly in need of help and a community and God, they rejoice in those moments because it's a sign that God the Father will never abandon us in our need. And so that's a place in me I need to grow and not be like the first guy, God, thank you for all these wonderful things. Instead, Lord, have mercy on me for thinking so different of myself that I'd imagine that I wouldn't need help. I wouldn't need inspiration. I wouldn't need people around me to teach me the wisdom of God and life. And so this week, go back to that gospel. And if you want to really buckle up with God, say, Lord, show me how I'm like the first guy. Because it's keeping us away from experiencing the lavish, generous, endless love of God who only delights in providing for his children everything they need. Because he's never once thought we weren't poor and needy. And he loves it most when we say, could you have mercy on me? I'm a sinner. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.